Welcome to the When Everything is Missions podcast with Matthew Ellison from 1615 Church Missions Coaching and Denny Spitters from Pioneers USA. This monthly podcast is inspired by the book When Everything is Missions. Now, here is Matthew and Denny. I'm Matthew Ellison, president of 1615, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Denny Spitters, also co-author of the book When Everything is Missions, and I'm the other author on the other side of that. So, Denny, um, it's 2018. Our book is finally hitting the streets. Pretty excited about this book. Um, How about you? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, It's really been a joy to be able to do this together. It's a challenge to kind of write together, but I feel like it really fit really well, especially because of of our backgrounds. Yeah. us have both of us having some things in common, but also some things that are unique. Maybe you could just share a little bit about your journey and how you ended up where you're at today and on mission with God, as it were. Yeah, it's funny. Somebody asked me that question today, um, way back in like 1971, when I was a little younger than I am now, I went on my first, I would say, true missions experience and lived three and a half months in France. Um, I was a part of a music team that actually went, we were all believers. We're all very excellent musicians. We went um, campus to campus uh, doing not only high Mm -hmm. school assemblies, but college campuses uh, in France and uh, share the gospel uh, in the evenings. We do concerts during the day in the school. And uh, then at night, uh, we would not only uh, do concerts that people could come to, but share the gospel. And I remember going thinking, wow, that's really going to (laughs) be... Um, pretty much like doing it here. It wasn't anything like that. And I remember coming back um, kind of really rocked mm-hmm. and realizing the trajectory and course of my life was changing. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward, um, the process of planting churches, being a part of some larger church plants that became mega churches. I went through three of those, um, ended up with pioneers, um, happened to be leading the um, team that works with churches that send and support people around the globe um, and send them to the unreached, uh, about two, well, actually about 3,500 of those churches. So that's kind of how we picked up on really zeroing in on this whole idea, watching churches that have said everything is mission. So yeah, kind of what's your journey in that? It's quite similar. Uh, Short-term mission trip to Ghana, West Africa, 1993. I was about three months old in Jesus. Had no business, wow. you know, on a mission trip, if you will. But, wow, God totally used it. And I remember the last night of that trip journaling and just thinking, this is my reason. This is what I was made for. And you mentioned the trajectory term, and that's how I describe it. My life trajectory yeah. was severely and wonderfully altered. And ever since, I, I've been a part of global missions. So I feel really... I'm thankful that early on in my journey with Jesus, I immediately got got plugged into missions. I went on staff at a a mega church as well. And this was a church that taught the Bible verse by verse, committed to God's glory, but it never really made sense of missions. We basically responded to funding requests as they came up, and it seemed right at first. And as a result, missions was very impersonal. It was unengaging, and there was no clear vision. And so I was given freedom as one of the pastors to really take and build a strategic missions vision that was unique to our church. And God 
blessed it, it flourished. Mm. And in the midst of that awakening, I started to receive requests from other churches and they said, we love what you're doing. How did you get there? So what I recognized yeah. was there was this growing wave of churches who were not content just to give money. They wanted to be actively engaged. They didn't just want to res, uh, respond to funding requests. They wanted yep. to be more strategic. So that's how 1615 started. It was born out of my experience at a local church, helping that church make sense of missions and recognizing there was other churches out there that wanted to really go to the next level. So well, that's my journey. I, I think people need to understand, and looking even at the title of this book, that we're not— uh, we didn't write this because we're really mad at the church. We're mm. disappointed about some of the things that right. we're seeing. But the reality is, is we love God's bride. We want to call her back, in essence, That's right. to some of the core pieces of understanding what mission truly is, seeing the gospel that includes going to the ends of the earth and also engages people in that process within their churches. So, um, that's our that's our heart and passion. Maybe maybe you could start a little bit. Let's look at chapter one. Just kind of give me an overview. Uh, the title of it is "Do our def Do our definitions matter?" And uh, that's your baby. So tell me a little bit what what the core of that chapter is all about. Well, I think the core of the chapter is words have meaning. Okay. <laughs> Every day we bank on the fact that the words we write or speak or convey to others have meaning. So what does that have to do with mission, though? Well, when Jesus called us to make disciples of all the nations, uh, by the way, the word missions, we've said this in previous podcasts, does not even appear in the Bible, but we derive it from apostle, apostolos, sent one or apostolian. And so the idea of mission is alive and well in scripture, and it is associated with these marching orders that Jesus gave to make disciples of all the nations. And so we believe that it is critical if churches are going to be in alignment with God when it comes to his mission's purpose that they search the scriptures. So in this chapter, I really address a few key questions I think that every church should wrestle with. What is the Great Commission purpose Jesus gave mm. to a church? So again, I do missions coaching. I work with church leaders and missions leaders around the country. And I'm amazed when you pull church and missions leaders together in the same room, how many of them have completely different ideas yeah. about what the Great Commission is and what its fulfillment actually requires. So again, we need to ask these questions. What is it? What exactly are we supposed to be doing? What is the goal of the Great Commission? And I, I think when you ask those questions, you're going to find that there is a lot of differing answers that should be worked through. So that, that's kind of the premise of that chapter, Denny. Let, let me ask you about your chapter, chapter two. Um, the title is, what, are, what is Our Mission? So what's the big idea there? Yeah, there's so many terms that get thrown around when you use the word mission. Um, and I kind of fo focus actually on four competing uh, words here. The whole idea of the missio dei or miss mission of God, defining that um, simply and clearly, as well as mission. Uh, although it has a secular meaning, it, it is also used to define the scope of what God has given his church mm -hmm. to do. And then missional, which is used for just about every descriptor Everything. that you could <laughs> you could think of today, and talking about how that means outreach, and then missions, uh, kind of used as a a synonym uh, to for most of the terms above our our British brothers and sisters would say mission, and never use the word s, mm -hmm. but um, really. Looking at these words, defining them in a postmodern generation, and also looking, uh, it, we can't look at 
answer the question, what is mission, without looking biblically at all five great commissioning statements of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not simply Matthew 28. It's also, also Mark 16, 15, um, uh, also Luke 24, 44 through 49, and Acts 1, 8. So it's exploring a bit more biblically from uh, the beginning of creation to the end of mm-hmm. time in Revelation um, what is the mission of the church? Defining that well, and some of the other questions we address is, is the mission of God and the mission of the church the same? That's a big deal today because many churches believe they're identical. There are no differences, and we would say that there are some real differences. Also, that there's a centrality of discipleship, and and that discipleship um, Centrality of making disciples is for the purpose of going to the nation. So we talk about what it means uh, for priorities in mission within the local church. So we present different options that people really need to consider that would probably kind of push against the normal thinking of the day. Yeah, I think that's something that we need to tease out a little bit here. These are fighting words. A little bit. (laughs) I am amazed that when you challenge the notion that everyone's not a missionary, people get upset. Oh, yeah. Well, or that missions can't be anything that anybody wants it to be. Um, One of my closing examples is um, the movie, The Desolation of Smog. Yeah, that's good. And there's there's this scene where, um, uh, you know, the film follow Bilbo— Bilbo Baggins, and they're all together, and they're about to move into the Greenwood Forest. And uh, what happens is Gandalf the Grey says, you know, this isn't the Greenwood— uh, of old, this will kind of take you into a realm where you will become enchanted. And your key kind of opportunity here, the thing you have to do more than anything else is stay on the path. Yeah. If you go, get off the path, uh, this narrow path, you will not come out of this forest alive. And it's a great scene that unfolds. And I, th- I think that that scene parallels where the church That's is at right. today yep. on mission. We've so broadened the scope of not just who a missionary is, but what missions is, that we are off the path into everything. And we are not focused on the priority of the gospel, the priority of sending people to the nations, Mm -hmm. and the priority of joining our brothers and sisters worldwide who see this Mm -hmm. and are doing everything within the resources they have to go to the nations. And um, so that's very troubling to me, and I'm willing to kind of fight a little bit over that, so to speak. Yeah, you didn't get dressed up for For nothing. For nothing, (laughs) not for nothing. So, Matthew, uh, why are we even involved in missions in the first place? That's chapter 3. Yeah, Tell us a little so, bit more of what motivated you there. What I address in this chapter are really some foundational motives for global ministry. Why missions is the question I'm answering. And I hit on four things. One, because God's heart beats for the nations. And one of the things I address in here again is what's repeated throughout the book is that missions is central to Scripture. It is a central theme of scripture, a central theme of history. So if we're going to be people who say, God, make me like you, I mean, isn't that something we all should pray as Christians, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then if missions is central to God, and by missions, I mean taking the gospel to the whole world, all nations, it can't be marginalized for us. If we're going to be like God, we're going to care about the world. So his heart beats for the nation, so should ours. Another issue I address here is because salvation is found only in Jesus, Um, Hell is a real place. Mm. Jesus taught on it regularly. It's a place of conscious, terrifying torment. 
And that should be one of the motives behind missions. There are people who are on a path to hell today, Denny, and no one has told them that they could even go to heaven. And that's intolerable. That's unacceptable. And so one of the things I hit on this chapter is that there was a book written several years ago, I think, by Rob Bell, and it was called Love Wins, and he's really dismissed the idea of a real hell, right? right? And so Bible scholars and theologians came together, and they did— what many leaders have done throughout church history. They and fought. They, they push back. They exactly. push back and they said, no, we're going to fight for the doctrine of hell. It's a biblical yep. doctrine. It's real and it's dangerous to tell people otherwise. And I say, amen. Right. But I've got a problem with it. Okay. <laughs> What's that, your problem? That doctrine is not demonstrated in our demeanor. Hmm. If we believe in the reality and the horrors of hell, why does $1 out of every $100,000 of global church income go to the unreached people groups of the world? Yeah. Okay? And the unreached people are massive. It's hard to get your head and heart around them. So think of this. Think of your family and three or four of your kids or your wife, and they have no opportunity to know about Jesus. What would you do to see them one to Jesus? Yeah. Right? We should have that same mentality when it comes to the nations. Um, another... Motive I address is because our churches can't afford not to do missions. Yeah, I think that's really important when you bring out. You know, um, I think most churches are weighing that, weighing missions as just another ministry in the church. And we can't afford it. We can't afford it. And so we're going to marginalize it out. We're going to use that money since our church is a mission and everything we do is mission anyway. And so we'll just kind of take that money in and eliminate mission. And it's... It's really stunting the North American church. um, Look, we're already spiritually poor. I mean, we see a decline in in, in the church in America. Now, convictional Christians, I believe, are committed as ever, but but evangelicalism as a whole is on the way. It's declining, right? It's declining. And one of the solutions to that decline is caring about others. Yes. It's having a heart for the nations. And it's— The price that we pay to send our our own sons and daughters to the field, and I mean sons and daughters of our churches, maybe our literally physical sons and daughters, biological, but I mean, there's a price that we pay, and when that happens, man, God refreshes us. David Penman, um, Archbishop, where is he from? Australia. Australia. That's right. Yeah, he's an Aussie brother. He said, I do not believe any local congregation, no matter what its situation, this is so good, can afford to deprive itself of the encouragement and nourishment that comes by sending missionaries and reading about missionaries beyond their church walls. That's not what we think here. Not at all. (laughs) We think it's going to deplete. And I have story after story of church that has taken God's heart seriously, and they've paid the price associated with taking the gospel to the nations, and God has refreshed them. He's encouraged them. Yes, it's been difficult. Yes, it's been hard. Yes, it's been costly, but God has really refreshed Mm. them. Yeah, that's um, good. And then number four here, one of the motives I deal with is because we're called to know God and make him known. Yep. And really, it's this that is simple. that idea that we do not commend what we do not cherish. cherish. Yeah. Or, or, or someone puts it like this, where zeal for worship is weak, zeal for missions will also be weak. When we know God, when we truly know him and we are stunned by his beauty and his majesty, we're going to do missions because we'll be like Paul. We'll say, we can't bear the thought of there being peoples and places where this king is not known and adored. So that's a big piece of that there. Uh, And then I've got one more. I said I had four. There's five motives I unpack in this chapter because the lamb who is slain deserves the reward reward of his suffering. suffering. Maybe you touch on that a little bit, Denny, with the Moravians. Yeah. His rally cry. 
Well, it's amazing to, to see what they did um, coming out of um, a time, you know, we're celebrating 500 years of the Reformation. And it's interesting for that first 300 years, there were no structures within a Protestantism as a whole to um, sending people um, to the unreached mm-hmm. until William Carey. However, there was a couple of bright spots, right. and one of them was what happened uh, with uh, Count von Zinzendorf That's right. and the Hernhut community, who established a 24-hour watch of prayer, which lasted for 100, 100 years. years. Unbroken for 100 Unbroken, years. And ended up sending from their small little community almost 300 people, I think is the number, to the nations. Yeah, and Lapland, West yes. Indies, Turkey. The known, North America. The unknown world. The unknown that world, that's right. And and the whole idea behind it was that um, people would, before they would be shipped off, they would raise their hands and say, may the, the lamb, lamb that was slain, that was slain receive, receive the ward of his suffering. That's right. The, so. What drove them was that Jesus was worthy of his reward. Yes. That there yes. were people groups out there that did not know him and... Uh, they would, as these missionaries were sent. So, Denny, um, well, let's just dive right in here. Chapter four. This mm. is these are fighting words, brother. Okay, <laughs> is every Christian a missionary? No, no more than every Christian is a pastor and an elder or an evangelist. Or every Christian is not a missionary. Is every Christian on mission? Absolutely, we're all on mission with God. So there's some assumptions and implications that we really need to consider. And that's one of the things that I really tackle. One of them is I think this term is really used more than anything else uh, to motivate people to do evangelism. In fact, some of the greatest quotes uh, given, even some used in missions like Charles Spurgeon, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Well, was he literally saying every Christian is either a missionary or imposter? Because if not, those who don't go are imposters. And I don't think so. I think that what really is happening is there often is used, missions is used as a way to motivate people into evangelism. And we get the two kind of screwed up and interwoven in such a way that they become um kind of hard to define. So we talk about, I talk about more narrow, uh, narrow definition of the word missions and how a missionary is, is a role, uh, um, and it's connected to a, the word apostle, uh, small a, and the whole idea behind that is it's one who's sent or one who's sent out. And um, I also believe that call and giftedness goes with this, and um so we talk a lot about defining a little bit in terms of Scripture. What does that look like? And I see, think we see it in Acts chapter 13 uh, as it really moves forward. And um, also, I really kind of focus on some of the words that have baggage in this whole process. Yeah. Is everybody a missionary? Especially when you look at missions and colonialism. There is a lot of false information about mm, that. That's right. And um, I don't think most believers realize that. I would hope that people would buy this book even just to have the middle of it and read Is Every Christian a Missionary to see that Protestant missionaries had significant presence in the past 
And on average, where they went and they brought the gospel and focused on making uh, converts, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, they, are, they have brought, on average, more economically developed places and comparatively better health and lower inform- mortality rate and corruption and greater literacy, higher education, uh, especially for women and more robust membership in non-governmental org- associations where where missionaries went and did that work, yeah, uh, we see incredible results in the world. That's right. So I'm just going to offer a really strong word here. Stop calling everyone <laughs> a missionary. Yeah, okay, I agree. It's not biblical. It's not It's helping. not helpful. It's and it doesn't lead to helping. more missions work being done. It leads to less. And if you disagree with that, pick up the book and read it and, yep. and get challenged. Absolutely. And if you find something else in Scripture, call me. <laughs> Email me. Exactly. Well, and, and that's happening in missiology right now. People are trying to find the perfect word. And I would just say a lot of the motivation for that is the fact that the world is rejecting of the gospel. Uh, what did Paul say in Corinthians? That we are an aroma of death to some and aroma of life to others. Yeah. And I think that Americans, especially North Americans, are so kind of squishy on this idea of actually standing for something that would be unique or different and want to be non-offensive in every situation. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. The gospel is offensive. Jesus himself said, not by trying to go out of the way to be offensive, mm-hmm. but that if we are followers of him and he was persecuted, uh, we're going to be persecuted as well. So that's a pretty important piece. Another thing I'd like to talk about really quick, if I can, Mm -hmm. is uh, chapter five says, how are missionaries sent? And this is a whole idea of talking about the sending aspect of local churches. This is all based on um, Acts chapter 13, uh, one to four, really zeroing Mm -hmm. in on what church-based sending is versus I've got a personal call and I'm just going, I'm going to go on my own, I'm going to be the Lone Ranger. Yeah. It's really focused on seeing that missions has a very, very different focus, which is very much team-focused. It's very much, you know, um, missionary band being sent to the places where the gospel, there's no access to the gospel mm-hmm. and no possible way until um, somebody learns the language and crosses over the culture to give a clear message of the gospel presentation. So, Denny, we have just a few minutes here to wrap this up. Um, one of the things I address in chapter six, and I think it's really important, is the so what. Yeah. What are the implications? Let's consider what's at stake here. Because I've been challenged by several people that know I wrote this book, and they said, oh, man, this is semantics. Yes. You guys are just getting all stirred up about nothing. What's the big deal about calling everyone a missionary? There's really no real-life consequences, and there are. And I want to give an example from a friend of mine. He was working with a church in the Portland, Oregon area, and this church had actually adopted an unreached people group, Denny. Okay. They started to turn their focus toward the nations, and apparently this caused some frustration with the children's pastor. And so— This is crazy. In fact, it's hard to believe. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction, right? So basically, he said um, in a church meeting, there's 
you know, banners on the wall. There's materials promoting their unreached people group, educating the congregation. And this children's pastor stood up and said, how many of you would like to take a short-term mission trip? Let me see a show of hands. Everyone's hands went up. And after a time, a response, he said, we're going to sweeten the deal even more, folks. We're going to be working among an unreached people group, and you don't even need a passport. Plus, the church is going to pay all of your expenses. Hmm. It doesn't get any better than this, does it? <laughs> Sounds great. He said, so where's the unreached people group? And he said, they're right here. They're in our basement. We need your help on the children's wow. ministry. Denny. That creates confusion. That's... It, it, it's awful. Okay, here's the thing. Children's ministry is high and holy work. Oh, According yes. to Jesus, it may be some of the most important work in a church. Yeah. Ministry to children. But when we call our children in a church where the gospel's present, where many of them have Christian parents, not all of them, some where they have access and they hear, when we say that's missions, we obscure the priority of taking the gospel to children around the world where there is no church and there's right. no impulse for Christian ministry. Okay, those are the consequences of calling everything missions. That's just one of them. There's more. We hope you pick up the book and find out some of them. So then we're going to wrap this up right now. We have one minute. Um, what I'd like to talk about is this chapter that we put in at the end that really helps people with what's next. So they're going to read the book. They're going to be frustrated. They might even be angry at us, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes, so that could we, happen. How do we help them process through this? There's some questions. What's next? Well, I think it's really important that everybody, both as individual and as churches, as church leadership, really embrace very significantly um, God's global purposes mm -hmm. and really discover by opening up the Word of God, going to it, and letting it guide their thinking well. Um, that's one of the things that we challenge them on because um, we need to understand that there's a lot of, oh, I'm going to use... Um, a term here, I think the, the term I would use is um, myths surrounding. A, a lot of things that people actually believe are facts, but in fact are not. And so we address some of these things, part of it being how um, we interpret different passages in the Bible, That's like right. Acts 1-8, yeah. um, into concentric circles, missions. Right. Um, we show people clearly that that's not the intention of the passage. That's right. And um, also really talking about missions drift and what it is. Um, and we actually really talk specifically with some ways that people can take steps. So, so one of the things we decided to do, Denny, um, was— close the book the way we started the book. Yes. And so the book is broken up into seven questions. It's the chapters are our questions. And so we ask those questions again, because that's our heart is that people would read this book and they would think. Uh, we use this phrase, knowing comes before doing and shapes doing. Yes. And that's what we want to see. So we have those questions asked again with some sub points to really work through them. It'd be great for an individual or a missions team at a church to work through that or a pastoral leadership team. And again, I have to mention, it's gonna challenge you and you might get frustrated, but our heart is at the end of the day, people who read this book would have a biblical definition of missions that flows out of scripture. They didn't make it up themselves. Exactly. They didn't allow half-truths or um, you mentioned assumptions or the most popular idea of the day to shape their missions, vision, and, they and strategy. Didn't ape some other churches and just pull in theirs and say, well, that's going to be ours. That's right. But they arrived at a place where they said, that's missions biblically, and it seems good to the Holy Spirit and us. That's our passion. And if that happens, 
nations are going to be getting the gospel because this is going to steer churches, you know, towards those who've not heard. And then the best part about it is God gets glory yes. and his church gets joy. This has been a great time, Denny. Um, I really appreciate this opportunity to write with you. And uh, we thank you for tuning into this podcast. And let me just say it. I don't think everybody's a missionary. <laughs> okay. You've been listening to Denny Spitters and Matthew Ellison discussing their book, which is available on Amazon or at whereeverythingismissions.com. Join us next month for the podcast, When Everything is Missions. Everything is Missions.